John chapter 3, verse 22. When you get it, say, got it. All right, let's open up with a prayer, and we'll get kicked off. Father God, we come to you this morning. I pray that we can just in these next few minutes just give you our full attention, God. I pray that you would just get our hearts in the right place, God. I pray that you get my heart in the right place, that you just would forgive any sinfulness that's there. I pray that we wouldn't be worried about or concerned about the things of the world, that we wouldn't be sidetracked, that we wouldn't be distracted, dear Lord, but in these few minutes that the Holy Spirit would just pour out on this place and that we would be able to hear your word. And I pray that through your word today, God, that you would speak to us and and cause a change in our heart, dear Lord, and a change in our life. God, that if there's some here that have not accepted Jesus Christ, that you would convict them, that they would do that today. God, that if there are some here maybe that are yours, but they're living in sin, that you would just help them to grow in you or to mature in you, dear Lord, whatever it may be. And I pray that you just bless the reading of your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. John chapter 3, we've been reading about Nicodemus, and Nicodemus has been seeking Jesus for for answers, trying to understand what, what's what, trying to understand who Jesus is, trying to understand what it means to be born again. And last week, the verses we looked at, uh, we talked about uh, Jesus was telling uh, Nicodemus about the light, to, uh, telling Nicodemus that he needed to uh, walk in the light, that he needed to live in the light, that there were some who had rejected the light, who had avoided the light. Uh, when we see light and darkness talked about in Scripture, uh, that's talking about sin, being the darkness, being evil, uh, and light being good, being God, being Jesus Christ. And so uh, Jesus had told Nicodemus that he needed to uh, live in the light, but that there were many in the world who rejected the light. And so that's kind of where we left off last week. And here in verse 22 is where we will pick up. After this, after this whole uh, uh, thing that went on with Nicodemus, this whole discussion that went on before, and we shift gears here. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Now, John that's writing the book of John is not the same John that's talked about here. The John that's talked about here is John the Baptist. And he makes a good note there saying that there is coming a time where John is going to be thrown into prison. And even worse, John is going to be beheaded. But before all of these things took place, uh, John that wrote the book of John is telling us about John the Baptist. Now, Jesus began to baptize people. But before Jesus came on to the scene and began to baptize people, John the Baptist was baptizing people. He was letting people know that the Messiah was coming. Now, John the Baptist wasn't the Messiah, and he made sure to clarify that to the people whom he was baptizing. But he was letting them know that one greater than him was coming, and that one is Jesus. Now, Jesus has begun to, uh, begun to baptize people here that we see in these verses, but there's also a mention of John. Verse 25, Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew, or some translations may say the Jews, 
about purification. Now, we don't know exactly what this purification uh, is that's being talked about here, but there was a dispute that broke out between John the Baptist's disciples and some of the Jews, or one Jew, uh, about what was going on and what John was doing. In verse 26, So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you, Across the Jordan is baptizing, and everyone is flocking to him. So the problem was is that, is that this dispute was over the fact that people were going to Jesus to be baptized. Now, John had been doing the baptizing, and they were saying, Look, Rabbi, there are some who are going to another spot where this Jesus is, and they are being baptized by him. Now, perhaps they thought that that was a bad thing. Perhaps they thought, well, who is this man to be doing this? He shouldn't be doing this. This is your job to be doing, John. And so uh, there was some question there as to what was taking place. In verse 27, John responded, No one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourself can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. Now John's response was not one of, of, of how dare he start baptizing these people. Instead, John said, nope, this is the way it's supposed to be. The bride goes to the groom. And he uses this illustration of marriage. He's saying that nothing can happen without it being of God. He was telling his disciples here that what was taking place was part of God's plan. It was part of what was prophesied. It was part of what was supposed to take place. And if God was not involved, if God was not behind it, then the fact that Jesus was baptizing and the fact that people were going to Jesus to be baptized would have never taken place. John says, I'm not the groom. I'm not the one who the bride is supposed to come to. Now, when we see this language of bride and groom in the Scripture, we think of Jesus as being the groom. He is the husband. And when it talks about the bride in Scripture in the New Testament, it's talking about the church. It's talking about Christians. It's not talking about Enterprise Baptist Church, but it's talking about everybody who is a Christian. We are all the bride of Christ. And so the bride, that is us who are Christians, we go to the groom who is Jesus. And that's the same type of language that John the Baptist is using here. He's saying, no, the people are going to Jesus because he's the one that they should be going to. So John is clarifying uh, to his disciples that this is the way that it's supposed to be. After all, this is what was, uh, was prophesied about long ago. Now, there were some scriptures which caused some problems, or maybe not problems, but caused some confusion or, or misunderstanding among some of the people because a scripture in Malachi uh, talks about Elijah coming. Well, the people of, of Jesus' day, at least some of them, were looking for Elijah to return in the flesh. Now, Elijah in the Old Testament was a mighty prophet of God, and he was a mighty prophet of God who never died. Now, that's an interesting story. He was carried up into a, into, in, a, in a chariot of fire into heaven, and Elijah never died. And so many people assumed that Elijah would return in the flesh. Now, some would say possibly at the end times that Elijah will return in the flesh, that's a deep topic, and perhaps that's the case, or perhaps not. 
But there were many of Jesus' day who were looking for Elijah to return in the flesh. But Jesus tells the people in Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 11, I think is what verses it is, Jesus explains to them that John the Baptist is Elijah. That John the Baptist is the one who is being talking about who is going to come and who is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, this is talked about on a few different occasions, but some of the people of the New Testament missed it. But Jesus was clarifying for them that John the Baptist was the one who was carrying out uh, everything that Elijah had carried out. He was preparing the way uh, John the Baptist even dressed like Elijah. There are lots of similarities there between Elijah and John the Baptist. Now you can read about that prophecy of Elijah in Malachi chapter 4, and you can read of Jesus' explanation explaining that John the Baptist fulfilled that role and was Elijah in Matthew chapter 11. And John the Baptist was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. When Mary uh, was pregnant with Jesus, uh, she went to see a lady named Elizabeth who was John the Baptist's mother. And when she went to see Elizabeth, Elizabeth too was pregnant with a son who was John the Baptist. And when Mary, the mother of Jesus, with Jesus in her womb, went to see Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, with John in her womb, Elizabeth said that the baby inside of her uh, leapt for joy in the, in the womb. And so we see this connection between Jesus and John the Baptist from the very get-go, from the time that they were in the womb. God had prepared it, He had planned it, He had made everything fall into place, and here was John the Baptist. Now, we don't get a lot of details here in this passage we're looking at, but you can go back and you can read in Matthew uh, chapter 3, and you can see more of what John did. Actually, let's do that while we're talking about it. Let's just go ahead and turn, if you want to, to Matthew chapter 3. If not, you can just listen carefully. But you can kind of see exactly what John was doing. Now, we see here in these verses that we just looked at uh, that, that Jesus is talking about John and John or, 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 or John is talking about Jesus and clarifying what he was doing, that is what John was doing and what Jesus was doing. But here in Matthew chapter 3, we see exactly what John was doing to prepare the way for Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, we'll just start right in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Now this prophecy had taken place that we see in verse 3. Isaiah had prophesied that there was going to be one who was coming before the Messiah to prepare the way for Him, to make the way ready for Him, to prepare the people for Him, and John the Baptist is carrying that out. Verse 4, John himself had a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and his foot was, excuse me, and his food was locust and wild honey. And then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were flocking to Him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Now, uh, when you think about John the Baptist baptizing these people, uh, I don't believe that John the Baptist was, uh, their souls were being saved at this point. They still had to have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. But he was preparing the people for the Messiah. He was preparing them for repentance. 
And this act of baptism that people were doing showed that their heart was in the right place. Showed that they realized that they needed to repent. To repent means to turn from your sins. To stop sinning. Now it's not enough that we just repent. There may be people in this room who are very evil and do very evil things behind closed doors. And you may stop doing those evil things. And that's great that you stop doing those evil things. But just stopping... Uh, just to stop doing evil things or to stop sinning is not enough to save you. To repent, yes, we turn from those sinful ways, but we turn to Jesus. So we're running from sin and we're running to Jesus. So we repent, we quit our sin, but we still have to go to Jesus for forgiveness. Now, John the Baptist was preparing the people's heart. He was preparing the way for Jesus so that the people were ready. This symbolic act that the people were, were, were taking part in through this baptism by John the Baptist uh, was to show that they were repentant, that they were turning from their evil ways, that they were, as the Scripture says uh, in verse 6, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. So this, this baptism uh, was one in which they were opening their hearts, they were recognizing their sinfulness, and now soon after this, Jesus will come onto the scene and He will be the one who will offer the forgiveness of sin. So John is doing exactly what the prophecy said. He is preparing the way for the Messiah. He's letting people know the Messiah is coming, but he's also uh, preaching a message of repentance, letting the people know that they're not living right and there needs to be a change in their life that they need to quit their sinful ways. Verse 7, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the place of his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Now this is a good verse right here. This is a good couple of verses because it tells us what was going on during this time. Now these Pharisees and Sadducees that we so often see in Scripture, as we saw with Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, that was one who knew what we call the Old Testament. Now the difference between the New Testament and Old Testament, if we, if we can simplify it this way, is the Old Testament is everything that took place before Jesus, and the New Testament is everything that took place from Jesus forward. But everything in the Old Testament was, was God giving His people uh, the law, we call it. We see that in, in, in uh, the book of Exodus. Not just the Ten Commandments, but there were 600 other laws that God gave the people. And it was God's instruction. That's what we see a lot at the first part of your Bible when you first open it up. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those books all tell us about uh, what God's instructions were for us. And the Proverbs tell us we are to write that on our heart, those instructions. They are written on our heart. Even if we've never heard God's Word, it's in us because we're made in the image of God. We know when things are right and when things are wrong. We, we just know that. It's, it's inside of us. And all of the things in the Old Testament at the beginning were God's instructions to His people. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees that we read about in the New Testament would have been those who were very smart. They had really studied those, those instructions. They had studied them. They knew them. 
But they had also heard of all these prophets. We see these different prophets in the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, there's a bunch of them. Some of them have long books that they wrote. Other ones have really short little books that they wrote. But the prophets were always warning God's people. The prophets were always warning the Israelites to stop sinning and to start doing right by God. First off, they needed to humble themselves before God and they needed to worship God alone and not other idols or other things. But, but also they needed to stop sinning. They needed to stop doing things that God had told them not to do. And the prophets had continually come to the people in the Old Testament and warned them of these things. But if you read the Old Testament of the Bible, what you will see is very seldom did God's people listen. They may have listened for a little while, but they would always go back and begin to do what was evil in God's sight. Now the Pharisees and Sadducees were not so different from the people that we see in what we call the Old Testament. That is, they knew God's instruction, but they, they, there was a disconnect. They didn't understand how God was speaking to them, and they didn't understand the prophecies about the Messiah that were coming, as, because the prophets talked about one who was coming, who was going to make all things right. And the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they didn't understand that. And so here we see John in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist, he calls out these Pharisees and Sadducees, and he calls them brood of vipers. Now that's pretty strong language. We don't use that type of language today. Uh, but think of some harsh language that you might say to someone, and that's probably the equivalent to what John the Baptist was saying to them. Now maybe not foul language, but just some strong, stern language that we may use to get our point across to someone. And John used that to them. Now this would have really offended them because they thought that they were super holy because they knew the law. They knew God's instructions. But they weren't living it. And John calls them out. John the Baptist says in verse 8, Therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. Now that's a good verse for us to look at and to remember because the problem was the Pharisees and the Sadducees knew the Bible. They knew what God's Word said, but the problem was they did not do what God's Word says. Now that's important for us to remember because we don't want to be guilty of the same. We don't want to just know what God's Word says. Even the devil knows what God's Word says. Even Satan uses God's Word. Satan used Scripture on Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. You can read a little later when you get home. And Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. And the devil used God's very own words. Now he twisted them. He used them out of context. But it's not simply enough just to know the Word, but rather to do the Word. Now, Satan probably knows the Bible, and in fact, he does know it better than any of us probably ever will. But he doesn't do anything it says. He doesn't humble himself before Jesus Christ, and so therefore, he's doomed to destruction. And the same will be true for you and I if we know the Word and don't do the Word. So John says... I'm calling you to repent, and if you repent, that is, if you turn from your evil ways and turn to Jesus, there should be a change in your life. So John the Baptist says, produce fruit worthy of repentance. There should be good fruit that is shown from your life. The same is true for us. If we have turned from our sinfulness and turned to Jesus Christ, then it should change the way we act. It should change the way we treat others. It should change the, the way we talk. 
the things we watch, the things we do, the things we take part in. And if we say we have repented and we trust Jesus Christ, but we're still living like we've always lived, then you need to take a look at your life. And that's exactly what John the Baptist was saying to these Pharisees and Sadducees. You claim to be holy. They did. They thought they were super holy. But John the Baptist was saying, but the fruit that's coming out of your life is not fruit that shows that you are changed and have a good relationship with God. And guess what? People look at what we do. People look very close at what we do. And we need to remember that if we claim to be a Christian... And maybe we are, or maybe we're not. I don't know anybody's heart. But if you claim to be a Christian, but you act like an unbeliever, and you act like a fool, and you live in sin, then guess how many people you're probably going to be able to reach for Jesus? Zero. That's how many. Zero. Why? Because people will look at you, and they'll say, well, they're just a hypocrite. They're just a hypocrite. And so it's important to us, if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, that we live that out. I would almost venture to say, and I'm just, I'm just saying this, I don't have any statistics to back it up, but I would say, and I believe, that we probably would be, would, would be able to reach more people by our actions than the words that we speak. Because here's what we can do. We can live a life of sinfulness, but all the while be standing on the street corners with a, with a megaphone, preaching God's Word to the top of our lung, reading it word for word from the Bible, and people aren't going to listen to us. Why? It's not because they can't hear us. It's not because what we're reading is not God's Word. It's because they see how we act. But if someone sees you doing something out of love, someone sees you being kind, someone sees you helping someone, guess what? When you begin to speak then, you know what people will do? They will listen to what you have to say because they have seen how you have lived your life. And the problem was the Pharisees and Sadducees weren't doing that. And John the Baptist says, you need to repent, you need to change. That's the message that John the Baptist was preaching, not just to the Pharisees and Sadducees, but to everyone. Now their problem was is they thought that they were God's children because of who their ancestors were. Oh, but my, my family tree goes back to these people who are part of Israel, who are part of God's tribe, and they could have probably told you what tribe they descended from. That's just a guess, but I believe they probably could because they knew that. They were children of Abraham. They were part of the promise, but they had misunderstood. They had misunderstood completely. The promise was not just to a bloodline, but the promise was to those who would have faith and be obedient to God. And John corrects them here saying, look, you think that you're somebody special because you can trace your bloodline back to Abraham. But he said, look, if God wanted to turn these stones into descendants of Abraham, he could do it. He's telling them you ain't any better than a rock the way you are. Now you think that didn't get them fired up. Here are these men that thought that they were the holiest people in all of the country, in all of the world. And John the Baptist is telling them they ain't any better off than a rock. Actually, the rocks are better off than them. And so John the Baptist was preaching a strong message to the people. Let's read a little further. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fires. Now he's making a reference here to hell. He's saying, look, there's coming a day when God is going to bring judgment. Now he uses this illustration of an axe. 
But he's saying that, uh, that everything's going to be chopped down. All the good trees that produce fruit will be, will be kept. That is, taken to heaven. All the bad trees that produce bad fruit will be thrown into the fire. That is, sent to hell. Verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. Now here John tells us. He's not saying that there is any salvation that's coming through him, but his water baptism is for the repentance of the people. That is, so they can change their sinful ways. But the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. The one coming after him is Jesus Christ. John is very humble. John the Baptist knows what his job is. His job is to preach and tell the people, one, that they're living in sin, but two, that the Messiah who can do away with sin is coming. He says, I am not worthy to remove his sandals. Now, John, again, is very humble here. We see that. John says he's not even capable to remove, or not, not, not worthy, I should say, to remove the Messiah's sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now here, John is pointing out what is going to take place. John says, this water I baptize you with, yeah, you repent, you recognize your sinfulness, but the one who is coming is going to be able to give you the Holy Spirit. Now the Bible says that upon receiving Jesus Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It says that the Holy Spirit is a down payment for us. Now, when you make a down payment for something, it's because you intend to come back and get it. Perhaps there's an item that you've bought in your life, and you come to it, and you saw that it was for sale, and you said, golly, I want that, but I don't have the money, and you went in and you talked to the man or the woman that was selling it, and you said, look, I want to buy this car, but I don't have $5,000, but look, I'm going to give you this down payment. And you give them a $100 bill and say, please don't sell it till I get back. And of course you're going to go back, right? Because you just give $100 or $1,000 or whatever the down payment was. And you would be a fool to lose your money and not go back. So you go back and you pick up what you've put the down payment on. And when the Bible says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is a down payment on us, we can rest assured that God will come back for what, he, what is His. We are His. If we are in Jesus Christ, we are God's, and He will come back for us. He's not a God who can't follow through with payment because the payment has already been made in full by Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, John was preaching this message and getting people ready for this message that was taking place. That, yes, He baptized with water, but when Jesus came, it was going to be much greater because through Jesus would come the Holy Spirit. Verse 12. His winnowing shovel is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chafe will be burned up with fire and never goes out. Mm. Now again, he's referencing just like what he talked about before, that, I, that illustration of, of gathering up a crop, the good would be kept and the bad would be burned. So that is John the Baptist and that's the message that he was preaching. So as we read about John the Baptist in John chapter 3 and what he was talking about, we see why John the Baptist was not offended that Jesus was baptizing people because he already knew what his job was. He already knew what his calling was and he already knew that Jesus the Messiah was coming and was going to be better than him. And then closing in John chapter 3 verse 30 John says these words that I think are crucial for us to understand. We need to read these words, we need to hear these words, and we need to live these words. He says in verse 30, 
He must increase, talking about Jesus, He must increase, but I must decrease. So many times, Jesus is not, uh, not as important in our life as He should be. And Jesus may be kind of down here a little bit. Oftentimes, we may come become a little proud. We may trust in our own abilities. We may trust in our own bank accounts. We may trust in our own skills. And sometimes we begin to place ourselves a little too highly. And we would say, well, I never would place myself before Jesus. Well, we know in our head and in our heart that we shouldn't do that. But if we're going to be real with ourselves, we need to look and say, is Jesus the most important thing in my life? And if we look at our life and we say, you know what, Jesus is not the most important thing. Perhaps some of you, Jesus isn't even part of your life because you've never accepted Him as Lord and Savior. Perhaps for others, you're a Christian and you may do some pretty good stuff and you may go to church and you may read your Bible, but is Jesus at the top of the chart where He should be? Well, maybe sometimes in our life He is, but maybe other times, if we're honest, He's not. And these words of John the Baptist are good for us. He must increase, but I must decrease. We must raise Jesus up. We must give Jesus the glory. We must praise Jesus, but we must humble ourselves. Have you ever humbled yourself before Jesus Christ and made Him your Lord and Savior? If not, the words that John the Baptist spoke are going to be true one day. There's going to come a day of judgment where God will separate those who are His and those who are His will be taken to heaven, and those who are not His will suffer an eternity and punishment apart from Him. And these words of John the Baptist are crucial for us. He must increase and I must decrease. Have you humbled yourself before Jesus Christ and made Him your Lord and Savior? If you hadn't, you need to do it today. We're not promised tomorrow. Whether Jesus returns or whether we die tonight in our sleep, whatever it may be, we're not promised a tomorrow. Perhaps there are some of you here and you have accepted Jesus Christ, but you just don't have a good relationship. Things aren't as good as they should be. Perhaps you need to just humble yourself and say, Lord Jesus, I've thought a little too highly of myself and not highly enough of you. And we need to increase Jesus in our life and we need to decrease ourselves and our pride and our things that we want to cling to and not cling to what we do, but cling to what Jesus did. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for this good, good word about John the Baptist that we see what he preached and what he taught, dear Lord, and why it was important. And we thank you for his words for opening our eyes to know that we need to repent too. It don't matter where we're from. It don't matter who our parents or grandparents are, dear Lord. It doesn't matter if we read your Bible every day, God. If we're not doing it, if we're not trusting in you, God, if we hadn't humbled ourselves and accepted Jesus, we're just wasting our time, dear Lord. So I pray, God, if there's one in this room that's been wasting their time, that, that, that's just been going through the motions, dear Lord, that today that the Holy Spirit would convict them to let them no longer be readers of the Word, but, God, that they would be doers of the Word. That there would be those in here, God, that wouldn't just know about Jesus, but there would be everyone in here that would know Jesus. So, God, I pray that if there are some in this room that do not know Jesus, that in their heart, dear Lord, they would confess their sins, they would acknowledge that they are a sinner, that they would repent, turn from their sinfulness, and that they would turn to Jesus. That they would accept, dear Lord, that Jesus is, is your son, that he died on a cross, that he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins, and that he conquered death, that he rose from the dead, dear Lord. 
and that one day he's coming back. And God, if there's one that has not trusted him today, that they would say that prayer in their heart, dear Lord, with their mouth, that they would confess that, that they would come and let us know, that they would let me know that they have made you their Lord and Savior, dear Lord Jesus. That they would follow through with baptism just as your word commands, just as we see John and Jesus doing in these words today, God, so you still command us to be baptized when we accept you. God, I pray that if there are some in this room, maybe they're yours, maybe they're Christians, maybe they're following Jesus, but Jesus has just kind of took a back seat to some other things in life. Maybe it's stress or idols or worries or whatever it may be. God, I pray that Jesus would increase in our life and every one of our lives, that we would raise Jesus up, that we would lift Jesus up and glorify Jesus. And God, we would continue to keep ourselves humble. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.